You're listening to Tabletop and Beyond, Guild 9 Gaming Podcast, covering board games to war games and beyond. And welcome back to Tabletop and Beyond. I am your host, Jason. We got the full crew back with us today. Hi, I'm Justin. Oh Hi, I'm Dan. Did I just say Jason? Yep. That's okay. We can switch oh. personas tonight. Let's see okay. how long we can do it. It's I'm Daniel. It's because I was looking at your name, Jason. <laughs> Dang it. All right. Well, everybody, I'm Justin. Uh, we're, we got the full crew with us. Dan, welcome back to us tonight. Thank you. It's good to be back. Yes, excellent. Uh, we have got a good show for you guys today. We're going to talk about player knowledge and metagaming and RPGs, which is always a tricky subject, especially for those know-it-alls out there. They're those, so smart and wily. Those, <laughs> those darn well-wet, well-read people. Right. <laughs> All right, but again, we start with Geek Week, so let's start with Jason. How was your Geek Week? Oh, my Geek Week was a little uh, different this week. Um uh, some of you may know, start on a little sad note, but it'll get better. Uh, my uh, my youngest child this week was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. Oh. This is the second child in my house that uh, has now been diagnosed with this. So we're, we've actually had diabetes, type 1 diabetes in our home for about seven years now. So very familiar with the treatment. So the the dealing with the disease itself is not not so much of a big deal in our home. Just the fact that it you know, it's changed, changes someone's life. I wanted to take yeah. this as an opportunity to, to call out uh, just you know, awareness of diabetes and that it is an actual epidemic um, in our country and in the world uh, right now. COVID is very, it's very um, on our minds right now um, and uh, rightfully so. Um, but there are a lot of other things out there that a lot of people don't understand the statistics of uh, right now. And, and diabetes is actually a very growing, growing uh, thing. That said, um, while it can be very detrimental to people's lives, it's a testament to the advances that we're making in medical technology. Um, we basically can create uh, uh, the virtual virtual pancreases for people. Um, one thing about type one diabetes, right, is that your pancreas is still working. It's just mm-hmm. your body decides, oh, that pancreas shouldn't be here, and so your white blood cells actually kind of attack your pancreas and ah. and destroy its ability to produce uh, insulin to counter the sugar in your bloodstream. Wow. Well, what's what's great is that we have. Um, we have these devices like pumps and uh, sugar monitor or glucose monitors that work together now. And my older daughter has this. So it's that it actually is like a virtual pancreas that she has outside of her body that monitors her blood and, 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 um, and uh, uh, inserts the insulin into her bloodstream to account for the, uh, for the sugar content there. So the quality of life for diabetes is getting, is getting way better yeah. right now, the chance of survival. So it's actually very positive. And so... I've done, you know, this this week I've kind of reinvigorated myself on uh, diving into the advances of technology that are there. So it's a little bit of a of a kind of a medical geek week for me uh, and my family. But um, on that note, you know, it's just uh, there's definitely hope for a cure in the future. I think there's absolutely a possibility. Um, but that consumed, as you could probably imagine, that consumed an enormous amount of my week uh, yeah. this week. Yeah. That said. Yeah. I had a, um, everybody's doing well in the household, but uh, I, one night I said, you know what, I, everybody's asleep, I need to get into the Halloween zone to clear my mind, and so I watched a movie on Netflix called Apostle. Oh, that's with the same dude who played yeah. Legion. He's Jesse, in Legion. and Jesse, in, yeah. in uh, uh, Breaking Bad. Yes, um, Yeah. and in uh, main character in Legion. 
Right. If you've ever seen that. Yeah. The TV I have show. not, but I know what you're talking about. Yes. Yep. So very good movie. I really enjoyed it. Um, it has a strong supernatural element to it that doesn't come out until, well, not too deep into the movie. So it's not too much of a spoiler to tell it. But, uh, and this, I think, is a 2018 movie. Um, but it takes place on an isolated island with a cult and revolving around a cult that's kind of taken over this island. And this guy's, this guy's sister has been kidnapped by this cult because uh, things aren't going so well for the cult and they're kind of running out of money. And so they kidnap his sister and are holding her for ransom. And, but they don't know about him. And so he kind of tries to sneak into the cult as a member uh, to try to find his sister to save her. But while he is uh, in there, he starts to, you know, uncover the, you know, the delicate secrets of the cult and the supernatural elements around that. And it becomes, it goes downhill really fast and nice. gets, it's, gets really gory and uh, bloody, uh, but it's, and it's super intense. Um, so highly recommended if you were still in the mood for kind of coming off of the Halloween vibe but don't necessarily want a slasher but still want something that's a little bit of a psychological thriller but really also more of kind of like you know an escape from the escape from the island kind of a thing so what you're saying is it's essentially like nick cage's the wicker man (laughs) (laughs) i I guess (laughs) have you seen that movie uh, it's been a long time. Well, you should watch it again because again? it is a okay. classic for all the wrong reasons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this one, I'll say this one had great acting in the entire yeah. movie. This one was kind of a little bit of the, uh, a little bit of the village. Okay. You remember okay. Uh, M. Night, yep. uh, yeah, his village, yep. Had a feel like that, but then, yeah. um, but, uh, well, I guess that movie's been out for a long time. But besides the twist in that one that didn't have a supernatural element, this one absolutely does, and it's a brutal nice. one. Nice. Yeah. Okay. So, recommend it. That was my geek. Yeah, very cool. I, I, I've been I, meaning I, to pick that one up, and I just haven't found the right moment. It was good. I enjoyed it. Cool. I just went on IMDb and looked at the photos. It looks super intense. Super now, intense. I will say, now, I will say this. I think it's either a TVMA or it's an R, and there is it's nothing. It's TVMA. Okay. If, I was going to say if it was R. They, for those of you who do care about that, you know, obviously, whenever I watch a movie, I get onto IMDb, and I look at the parental advisory to determine if this is something I want in my house. But this one really is just, I don't even think there's much cursing in the movie. I think it really is just about intense fright Yeah. when it comes down to it. Yeah. Okay. There's your warning. All right, who's All right. next? <laughs> uh, I'll, I will go next, Dan. Um, so the first thing that I want to talk about, and I'm going to do this in chronological order. Uh, on Wednesday night, my wife said to me, what are we doing for date night? Which was Friday. And we had planned something Halloween-y, right? And I, and I said, well, we're going to watch, like, Beetlejuice and the Lost Boys. Because I'm like, let's go nostalgia halloween here, you know? And she says, that sounds good, but I want something scary. Wow. And I said, oh, really? Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, I went full Ace Ventura right there, you know? And I said, okay, well, here's your two choices. Annabelle or The Conjuring. Because wow. we're going full scary. And she's like, she watched the previews and she goes, I think we should do The Conjuring. I came to find out. Wow. I came to find out. This is after I showed her the trailers, right? Uh, apparently some researchers, this is secondhand knowledge from a friend of mine, so take it as it is. 
Some researchers had done some studies, and they said that The Conjuring is neither the most loved or the most popular uh, scary movie, or even rated as the best, but it is by far the scariest scary movie out there for the <laughs> elements that are in it. No. Hmm. That's yeah. a pretty big claim to say it is the scariest it of is, the scaries. It is, but I'm going to tell you this right now. It was on the level. It was... It was one of the scariest movies I've ever seen. Easily. Why? Uh, they did an amazing job of ratcheting up the terror and then bringing it back down. Cathartic and then release. Up. Oh, my gosh. They were so good about it. I mean, I was – and before the podcast, for our listeners' awareness, I suggested to Jason that we talk about a seminar that we had given at a catacomb two years ago mm-hmm. about horror and, you know, kind of like how to – bring in the elements of horror and how to control that that uh, level of fear and terror during the game. And I thought about that as I was watching it because I'm like, we get really tense and not quite there, and then it pulls it back down, you know? And it, it did a great job of doing it, and it was it was really good. And it, it has really uh, Patrick Wilson, who played Night Owl in Watchmen. Yes. I'm not going to lie to you. I have... I've been holding off on watching this because it, my it was, my yeah. my ability to control fear uh, comes and goes. <laughs> when I look at that, when I look at that movie, I think I'm gonna do it, and then I look at it and I watch the trailer. I'm like, I'm not gonna do it. I'm gonna I'm gonna watch something yeah. else. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I thought you were gonna say your ability to clo- control your bladder comes. And goes. <laughs> That's probably the two. Yeah, probably I'm running out of underwear, and so. Listen, it was it was scary for all the right reasons. Um, it I'm trying to think if it had even any gore in it. It kind like a little bit. Like there were some disgusting things that happened, you know. But it wasn't like blood splattering yeah. everywhere type of thing. You know what I mean? Not it wasn't a slasher flick. Um, but it was it was good. And I did not realize this at the time. And again, people who are listening are probably like, "Dude, Justin, where have you been?" Annabelle is directly related to The Conjuring. It's all within the same film universe, you know. Um, And in fact, like the beginning of the movie. So the story is, there's these two kind of demon hunters, I guess, right? Like it's a husband-wife team. He's like a non-ordained priest, I guess. Non-ordained demonologist is what they call him. Like he's a demon expert, um, but he's not a priest. But he knows all the stuff, you know. And his wife is like a clairvoyant. So they're like this tag team thing. And one of their first cases was Annabelle. And um, But the Annabelle movie that you see takes place, I think, several years after The Conjuring. Right? right. But they're giving like a preview of like how Annabelle started, which ended up being a, its own spinoff movie, I think Annabelle there, Origins. Yeah, I think there are several movies in The Conjuring. Uh, so like The Nun, I think, is uh, one that was in that. So there's well. Conjuring 1, Conjuring 2, and then Conjuring 3 is supposed to come out next year. And then there's Annabelle, Annabelle Origins, and then Annabelle Comes Home. And mm-hmm. then, yes, I think The Nun. Well, there's Sinister and The Nun, I think, are related. Yeah. And I don't know if those two are in this universe or not. But According to Wikipedia, uh, at least, to, yes, they are related. Okay. <laughs> Because I have not brought myself to watch them yet. Listen, there it was really it was really good. Uh, I mean, master crafted movie. It was scary as crap. 
So if you're in the mood, I know it's November, but you're like, you know what? I want to keep that Halloween yeah. vibe going. I'm thankful for this. Do it. There's nothing scary happening in November. Yeah. <laughs> well, my favorite is that all of these movies, like, I, if I if I remember correctly, Annabelle came out like on Valentine's Day, or something like that. You know, like all these scary movies keep coming out in like February. Like hardly any of them actually come out in October. Well, there's an interesting topic here for for a future show, which is how much the how much film pioneering has gone into both horror and sci-fi, yeah. and how that has made all other movies easier to make with more interesting, compelling content. Uh, uh, content. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's like, even if you don't watch horror movies, you've you know if you or if you're a sci-fi fan yeah. or even just a general movie fan you've benefited from uh innovative uh yep. techniques that were pioneered in in the horror genre and in in the high sci-fi genre as well i think my first horror movie i ever watched as a little kid you know when you're flipping through the channels when your parents don't know you're watching tv late at night one time was probably the amnyville horror Oh my gosh! Really? Yeah, that was the first horror movie I ever oh saw. Oh my gosh, that's a that's a bad. I one. was never the same. <laughs> oh, I so it was really bad. Yeah, that's one of those psychological like. Oh gosh, yeah. I mean, the the Conjuring the is very much one. like I, an Adam Amityville horror. You know what I mean? Where it's like uh-huh. the people versus the house. Yeah. You uh-huh. know. Um, I don't watch so... horror movies, but there's one <laughs> there's one that just came out. I'm gonna watch it. It's called Borat Subsequent Movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that one's a disaster film for sure. <laughs> um so yeah, this was this was great. Uh I think the first horror movie I ever really I mean, I would catch snippets of like Friday the thirteenth or something like yeah. that. But the first one I really sat down and watched was when I was like about thirteen and it was The Exorcist. And uh, let me tell yeah. you, Poltergeist. The next, let me tell you, for the next yeah. several days after I watched The Exorcist, lights I was, on. I was not. I was just like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And here's the thing: is actually, you know what? I watched a Poltergeist before The Exorcist. I, I saw that movie. That did. I mean, there were some scary parts in it, but it did not disturb me like The Exorcist did. The Exorcist disturbed me to the core, you know. And, and I think <laughs> The Conjuring has a little bit of elements of that in there too. Yeah. So, yeah. There we. I mean, we can make a whole episode on talking about movies that have disturbed us and changed us. <laughs> yeah. We were like, I, I mean, I tell my kids, don't ever watch this white, movie. And they're like, why? Is it a bad movie? White, white chicks. <laughs> <laughs> it was so disturbing. <laughs> yeah. Some of my kids would be like, why should I watch that movie? Is it a bad movie? Said, no, it's a great movie. Then why should I watch it? Because when I finished that movie, I took two steps backwards in life afterwards. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> it stunted my emotional yes. growth. <laughs> and when you're 18 and you're out of this damn house, you can watch whatever garbage you right. want to watch. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. All right. So the second thing, I think this is kind of a group thing, but it was it was mine. Um, so on Sunday, because we watched The Conjuring on Friday, Halloween was Saturday. But on Sunday, my family sat down and watched the first episode of season two of The Mandalorian. Ooh, yeah, baby. There you are. It was a uh, it was a great episode. We're not going to give any spoilers here. No. Um, but what I did want to say is that I, you know, watching the beginning, and even the the you know throughout the movie, I said to my kids, I said, I love how the Mandalorian is a western in space. It's I so love great. the western it's feel. So of good. It. Yeah. You know, 
he's this kind of sheriff guy. Not even a sheriff. He's the pale rider, yeah. right? He's the guy. He's the Clint Eastwood character that is chaotic neutral, in a sense. I, you know, I mean, I guess could you call him lawful neutral? You know, yeah, he's chaotic well, good. I don't yeah, know. Chaotic, he's chaotic good. good. I think is probably yeah. better. Yeah. Well, yeah. no, he follows a law. He follows mm, an order. That's true. He follows his law. This right, is why those D and no D alignments are dumb. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it makes for fun speculation. He has to fit. He has to fit. Um, yeah, but anyway, he rolls into you know he rolls into a town and uh, you know he can be the good guy or the bad guy depending, or sometimes both at the same time. And uh, I think that this episode was a great example of that. The cinematography and was mind was blowing. So mind oh, I saw blowing. a thing today about how the um uh the screen size the screen uh ratio got bigger during a certain scene to make it feel bigger yeah Yeah. and they're like if you notice that well you had a pretty good eye because they did that to make the scene feel much bigger yeah they they shot certain things in in the imax ratio instead of yeah um, the very I forget the name of the ratios. I used to know this. I used to be a, more of a mer- movie nerd, but CinemaScope and all that. I used to know all that stuff, but it's all yeah. gone out of my over forty brain. Well, it was pretty good, and I will say this too. Um, there's a fun reference to Boba Fett in this movie. I'm not going to give any more spoilers than that. So I said there's no spoilers, but I, I love one. that you call it a movie because that's how it felt. <laughs> it does feel like a movie, and, huh? uh, yeah. There's a good and, reference to Boba Fett in here, and I ended up watching a YouTube video this morning about how Jango Fett and subsequently Boba Fett were not actual Mandalorians, despite the armor that they had. According to and George. According to George Lucas, who t- uh, said it to Dave Filoni, who is the director and producer of many of these episodes, and of the Clone Wars, too, right? Keeper of the Holy Flame. Yes. Um, and so, you know, they had they had and they had actually an audio recording of George talking about it um, playing in there. And so basically they said that uh, Django Fett um, was uh, likely rescued like the Mandalorian. So this is going back to season one, rescued by the Mandalorians, uh, taught like some combat stuff and got into the bounty hunting profession. But he was never inducted into the um, Mandalorian code and uh, their way. And so he would not have been given his own um, armor, which is why he had Durasteel armor, not the Beskar armor. And um, he actually probably had it made himself for the bounty hunting. That's awesome. it was a really cool video, and when you're like, "Whoa, this got real deep into the lore," <laughs> yeah, and and, uh, and there's callouts if you're playing the home game. There were callouts to old video games. There were callouts to novels that were released in the last several oh, yeah. years. There's characters that only exist in in the novel that walk on screen, which was great. Uh, references to aliens in the new sequel trilogy. References to aliens across all the other trilogies, and. They packed in an amazing amount of fun in. There's a uh, lot of Easter eggs in minutes. that one. Yes, uh, and yeah, and yeah. So it's made with love, and most of the Easter eggs have kind of a plot point, and not just. Uh-huh. And it's not just fan service, even though this episode either was intense fan service or setting up a, a new player on the stage. I hope it's the latter. I'm guessing it's the latter, but we will try not to talk about it. Yeah, yeah. No, it was great. So. 
If you haven't seen The Mandalorian yet, or if you let your Disney Plus subscription lapse because you got done watching The Mandalorian, well, it's time to re-up, boys and girls, because it's back. Pay the piper. Yeah. All right, Dan, how was your Geek Week? Uh, I had a couple of Geek Weeks. I've been off the show, as our listeners may have noticed. Um, I've had a chance to run my Star Wars Edge of the Empire uh, Zoom campaign twice since our last podcast. And uh, the other night, last Friday, I ran a four-hour adventure with about 20 minutes of prep using my Dungeon Discoveries cards. Oh my gosh. And everybody was like, that was such a great mission. How'd you come up with that? I'm like, I spent about 20 minutes. So I'm not going to gush about this anymore, but anything that cuts my game time prep down to less than a half an hour is legit great. Um, So they're going to have to pry these cards out of my cold, dead hands. And what it does is it allows me to allocate time to GM other games. Um, it'll be like the elder one when you're buried it'll be buried right they'll be buried in little card (laughs) sleeves right there that's right lore smith cards (laughs) um the second part of my geek week i've spent a lot of time on my game table i needed to rework uh the leather it had a i had one seam with two pieces of leather and uh, white glue is not content contact cement just use the contact cement if you're gluing down leather because everything bubbled up and I had to uh, have one, instead of one seam, I had to cut it into uh, eight different triangles and put them all back down and try to get them to line up. And they don't. Uh, so it's a little janky, but uh, everything has character, right? Everything has character. Yeah, so it's character. Um, and I started, I made a ton of progress on the leaves of it that'll cover up the battle well. And I've... Um, I cut the leaves and I sanded the leaves and I've started the pyrography. I've transferred my family crest onto the center leaf and I've burned about a third of it in with pyrography. It took me hours um, just to I've do a third of it. But, it's a pretty wow. intricate crest and it, and you did a big one too. So it's it big. looks awesome. Well, thank you. I hope to yeah. someday when this is a whole project, I'll be able to post the highlight photos maybe on our on our Facebook or something like yeah. that. From, well, yeah. You should definitely post the them on Board Game Geek. Yeah, well, we'll get there. We'll get there eventually. Um, What I really don't like is I do post them on Facebook, but I usually get so many questions about what I'm doing and why that it gets, it bogs me down just a little bit. So I tried to Mm, only post it on our Mm -hmm. Discord channel. I post, you know, everything on the Discord channel and then I take a, then I, then I'll wait a month and post stuff on Facebook. Um, so anyway, anyway, um, it, I, uh, had a birthday, uh, while I was gone. And one of the things that I got was the gift of time. My wife went off with her gal pals on a gal pal trip. She left town and I had about four days to just work on my table day after day after day. I caught up on the, I caught up on the tabletop and beyond podcast. That's a lot of hours. Uh, I'm yeah. totally oh, caught oh, right. up. I was supposed to be taking care of the kids too while she was gone. I ignored the kids like an eighties <laughs> parent. I was a total eighties right. parent and oh. they were all in, supposed to be in virtual school and they all screwed up. And uh, I she was like un- glue the pants to the floor and put the kids in the pants and button them up. <laughs> I was, uh, I'd come in, you know, covered in sawdust and, and, you know, uh, I would have like stain on my legs and stuff like that. I'd be like, everybody okay in here? Yeah, everybody's fine. All right. I'm going back out to the garage. Uh, and it was like being in the 1980s again when my parents would ignore me for huge stretches of time. So, uh, it was great and I got a lot of work done and it's much closer to being uh, a thing that I can use as a piece of furniture if I wasn't so distracted with the rest of my life, it would be done right now, but I've got other distractions. 
And that oh, was going to look great, man. Thank you for thank you for the positive feedback. Once everything is in its close to final state, um, all of my weird rantings about it will make sense. And I hope a few of our listeners, we post the photos in a place where a few of our listeners can uh, can enjoy it. Cool. And I hope my gamers come over and enjoy it once we get done with this I stupid quarantine. We're waiting. We're it. waiting. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So. Yeah. It'll be fun. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Dan, you got some news for us? Some geek news? Got some news. I'm trying to cut down the amount of verbiage on the news. Um, so we've got about four items here. Artisorian mm-hmm. Games announced. Oh, no, no intro? Oh, sorry. Oh, that's sorry. That's the Muppets. Sorry, I did the yeah. Muppets. Sorry. Uh, that went a different direction. Yeah. Boom, boom. It's time to get this. I'm sorry. We just had to pay Disney a dollar there. We just, I just blew a, all of our money on uh, Disney. All right. Our Tassalorian Games announced a release date and information about the Cyberpunk Red Core Rules. After a series of delays, the core rules will be available in PDF on November 14th and a hardcover on November 19th, and the hardcover is going for about 60 bucks. So if you're a fan of Cyberpunk and uh, that RPG, which has a long and storied history in RPG, uh, the annals of all RPGs, there's a new version coming out uh, in November for you. Now, remind me, uh, and Jason may know uh, better, but is the Cyberpunk 2077 coming out that CG product red is doing is that based off of this rpg or that's is a good it, question i don't know it if it's based thing. off of it we'll have okay. to look that up and find out yeah we'll have to all look right it up. i'm going to start researching you keep going dan okay cool uh critical role announced the launch of their own publishing company that's what happens when you do a kickstarter where you get like eight million dollars right mm-hmm. it's called darrington press Future releases planned for 2021, including a board game set in Exandria called Critical Role Adventures, a supernatural mafia role-playing game designed by Matt Mercer called Cindy Colt, and a cooperative card game called Guardians of Matrimonia, which sounds horrible, but hey, whatever. This Maybe. is an interesting news item because the Critical Role got... Uh has probably gotten famous from doing a, like a D&D sessions, right? Yeah. That's and that's their they're spawning butter. off and making their own RPG game. Yeah. Their own RPG. I wonder if they're wow. going to I wonder if they're going to switch gears. Yeah, something tells me it's not going to be fantasy based. Yeah. Um, supernatural mafia is the uh, is the low fantasy. Low fantasy. I wonder if it's going to be um, urban urban fantasy stuff. Like urban shadows, yeah, yeah, That's or a good like uh, or like Dresden Files, mm-hmm. yeah. You know, I mean, Supernatural Mafia it seems like it would fit well with that, like maybe 1940s style. Yeah, yeah, that'd be cool. If you're into that, that'd be cool. I can see how these guys could get a little tired of the fantasy genre and want to go try something yeah. else. Yeah, mm. because uh, they've been what at it. They've been at it, and I will listen Years to the episode now. the other day when I. Uh, kept saying Matt Mercer, but it was supposed to be the other Colville. Yeah, Matt Colville. You, you kept yep. correcting me, and I never heard you correct me, and I kept it's saying it good. wrong over and over. <laughs> I'm like, man, I really suck at this podcasting <laughs> thing. Yeah, good times. Uh, next item. Yeah, good. I'm glad. I'm sorry. I, everybody else who was listening was like, dude, get turn your headphones up or something, man. All right. 
Item number three. Hasbro had their third quarter shareholders call, and once again, Dungeons & Dragons featured in a positive way. The biggest revelation is a tease from Hasbro CEO Brian Goldner about a live-action Dungeons & Dragons television series in addition to the movie. What, what, what? Yeah, wow. I wonder if they're going to be related. Like maybe, um, remember how like uh, the Clone Wars movie kicked off the series? Yeah, who knows? Yeah, they should. Yeah. They said that the lore is so deep, they've got so much IP to go swimming in that they they have so mm-hmm. much stuff. Yeah. I mean, I mean you, you, there's you, so much there. You hand a whole bunch of those books, not to mention um, the um, Dragonlance universe, which is our next item of news. But there's they have a lot of universes, so... Uh, yeah. As long as it's well acted, well produced, and is nothing like that crap movie that came out in the nineties, then I'm, I'm happy. <laughs> Listen, I, I'm gonna be Wasn't honest. Was that Sean Connery yeah. did the voice of the dragon for that movie? No, that's Dragonheart, no. bro. That's even Dragonheart. that's better. Dragonheart. That's a better Dra- movie. Dragonheart's <laughs> a great <laughs> movie, actually. Yeah. I, I really like that one. That was uh, a good movie. Which R.I.P. Sean Connery, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Rest in peace. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> kind of sucks, but you know what? He's ninety years old, so it's hard to feel bad. Well, that's a long life. He's had a full life in yeah. uh, as as t- it's since the 1960s. He's been affecting people's lives. That's a lot of decades. Listen, so. he's had a full life with pussy galore. <laughs> <laughs> well, there went our rating. <laughs> what are you talking about? That's a that's a Bond girl. Where's the where's the yeah exactly <laughs> right? Exactly. In, in, that's what you meant in octopusy. I love Just this. keep going with this. I love this. <laughs> so anyways. So anyways, now that we've already mentioned Dragonlance, <clears throat> our fourth item of news is yeah. Margaret Weiss LLC and Tracy Hickman has a lo- have a lawsuit against the Wizards of the Coast. Ruh-roh. The lawsuit is related to an unreleased trilogy in the Dragonlance universe. And I spent some time reading uh, this uh, legal document that yeah, is uh, interesting. Actually, uh, is really I, I spent I read the first several pages. Essentially, um, boiling a long story short, Wizards was interested in having Margaret Weiss and Hickman put together a new trilogy, and they pulled the plug around the same time that uh, D&D was getting slammed for being uh, racist and sexist and um, decided to vacate the contract illegally. So uh, I I think uh, Margaret Weiss is a really cool lady. I mean, she was she's very available at Gen Cons to talk to, and usually the the booth where she whatever booth mm-hmm. she's yeah. pitching her work in. And I'm kind of on the side of the little guy here. I think if you break a contract, and especially if you're owned by Hasbro, you should pay up. So uh, I I'm I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say the law should. Uh, I have no knowledge of this, but I I hope uh, I hope Margaret. I, I don't know anything about the case, but um, I'm rooting for Margaret and Hickman. So I used to listen to the um, uh, Brandon Sanderson's writing podcast. Mm-hmm, yeah, um, and like um, writing in ten minutes or something like ten minutes or less. Um, or? Uh, that that was the tagline, yeah. right? Uh, the info you need in 15 minutes or less. Yeah. Um, and I'm blanking on the name of the podcast right now. It's like Critical Notes. Critical Notes. Anyways, something like that. Anyway, yeah. um, but they were on, they've been on a cut. They were on that a couple of times. Um, actually talking about kind of the writing process, and they were super fun guests on there. You could tell that they had a blast writing. D&D novels and really just getting into it. And I mean, they're like 
D and D household names. Like if you're really into it, yeah. like yeah, they're books. I mean, the Dragonlance universe yeah. is like really <clears throat> cemented a lot of people yeah. in the in the universe. This is a difficult one because anyone who's into this is going to probably struggle with biasing towards siding with Margaret and Teresi on this. Oh, yeah. Right, because that's the right side. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) My unbiased opinion is that Hasbro should pay up. Yeah. Um, Screw you, Hasbro. Well, what's interesting here is uh, they had already written uh, one book and were almost done with book two. Yeah. Of the series yeah. when they pulled the plug. And what was interesting is if you read the document, it's almost like a classic. Like, everything's going well. Everything's fine. Everything's going well. Oh, we're going to have a phone call. Okay, let's have a phone call. Okay, we're done. We're canceling this. And everyone's like, what? <sighs> Wait, what? Yeah. What happened? Yeah. And it was just like yeah. a, out of the blue. And what I thought was interesting is that they estimated the the uh, the revenue from this trilogy, not revenue, profit, from this trilogy to be around $10 million. Yeah. Yeah. They would be bringing $10 million, and that's not just selling books, right? That's yeah. Yeah. that's all the stuff that goes along with, with it. Uh, um, but, man, and so they're, I think they're seeking after that $10 million. Yeah, um, why wouldn't they? Yeah, why wouldn't they? But uh, it's interesting, and obviously the legal document we're reading are the claims by the plaintiff. It's one-sided, um, yeah. Yeah, so you're only seeing the one side. But uh, we'll see what happens. This, this could be pretty disruptive for... Uh, well, I don't well, know if it'd be disruptive you know, dollar wise for I them, mean but. the thing is is if it, it Dan, you kind of implied that it was uh D and D sort of taking a new tact on the kind of racial implications or things like that that may have caused them to pull the plug on it. It was That's that... the claim of the plaintiff. Yeah, that's okay. the plaintiff's claim. Yeah. Listen, I there's a lot of people I listen to oftentimes that say go you know, go woke, go broke type of thing. And if D&D's got to pay out for this, like, that's a clear example of, like, you know, you try to do, you try to do something that's sort of societal pressure right there, and it ends up costing you financially because you, you break a contract or something like that, yeah. you know? So, kind of well, I do have a, a, a personal tangential connection to this that's so tenuous, but it, it's relevant to us and our podcast. First of all, Jay and I, we ran a Margaret Weiss version of mm-hmm. uh, Firefly for several yeah. years and loved oh, nice. the heck out of it. Nice. And we loved it so much when gen- the idea of a generic RPG came out, I signed up for a Kickstarter. And the book finally came three and a half years later for the Cortex yes. Prime book. <laughs> And it's a nice book. It's a really nice book. It seems like they really cared about it and did a fine job. And I'm looking at the book right now on my shelf, and we are going to do a giveaway that we'll announce on our next episode about how to get a free RPG, a generic RPG. It's going to be the first Tabletop and Beyond giveaway just in time for Christmas. Just in time for Christmas. So we're still figuring out how we've never done giveaways on our show before, so we're going to... We're gonna get it tweaked before our next show, and uh, and uh, we're we'll hopefully uh, I'll, I have the box, I'm it's almost ready to mail. I've got the padding, the whole thing. I just need an address, nice, and uh, it'll be great. An address and a little bit of money. Fantastic! So pay to, I will pay to ship it. I will I will pay out of my own pocket to ship it because I paid for this I book. I paid this book paid for this book three and a half years ago. <laughs> Yeah, you win, dude. I think my longest Kickstarter is a year and a half. So at three, three to three and a half, man, whew, that is a long Kickstarter. Yeah, 
And and frankly, I would be playing this game now had it come out um, because. Right. But I got Genesis, and Ge- I have like five Genesis books on my shelf right now. So uh, Genesis wins. Ding ding ding! Winner winner! And you will win too if you put in. <laughs> you will be a winner too if you win a free Cortex Prime book. And just think about all the years that I sat reading email about this year after year after year. And yeah. you won't have to wait at all. I'll send it to you, Priority Mail or something like that. Nice. Nice. All right. That's news you can use. Thank you, Dan. Appreciate it. It's time to get things. I'm sorry. (laughs) I feel like we're probably more the old men in the booth than the actual Muppets. (laughs) (laughs) Statler and Waldorf. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, All right. So we're going to get to our main topic today, which is uh, an RPG topic. Again, shocker. Uh, but Sorry. it is as a DM or even as a player, how do you deal with player knowledge and metagaming? And so it's not just knowledge of like how the rules work, right? This is what kind of knowledge is this? It's story knowledge. It's plot knowledge. It's kind U- of universe setting. knowledge, setting knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's anything that the GM has not revealed as part of the game right, is at some level meta-knowledge. So if everybody sits down and you're playing a Forgotten Realms game and there's one guy who never yep. read a Forgotten Realms book, me, uh, sometimes I was at a disadvantage for n- understanding how that particular setting, and sorry, Dragonland, or Forgotten Realms, yeah, Forgotten Realms, uh, how that yeah. setting, how, how, what, what were the, the, the finer points of that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And, and, uh, Obviously, this affects games that um, have bigger IPs, right? Uh, that like player knowledge is a bigger factor in it. So, if you were to play a game such as uh, Star Wars uh, background, I'm trying to think of a. Uh, I mean, D and D's are probably another good one, just because people have read books about it. Yeah. Um, what else would be a big one? I mean, if you're playing like maybe a Doctor Who mm-hmm. thing and Star you know, Trek, Star um, Trek, yeah, uh, any of the yeah, um, a- anything that re- relies on an external media, right? Yeah, that you need. Um, even a Buffy game, you know. Uh, yeah, you know, if I sat down and played a Buffy the Vampire Slayer game, I would kind of suck at it because I didn't, I didn't watch the show. I'm sorry, you can throw a rock at me for not having geek cred, but I didn't watch it. So, but another another pull on that would be, let's say that you're playing a Buffy game or just any vampire game, right? Um, mm-hmm. I think it's generally well known that you kill vampires with stakes to the heart. Right. Yeah. The question is. Would your character know that if yeah. they're living in a world where there may, where vampires may not be wi- widely known to exist inside the setting? Yeah, it's really about what does the character know in the setting based on the character's background and life versus what players know, which is yeah. uh, those two things are not congruent unless you're playing a game that's based on playing yourselves in a role-playing game, and there is one of those out there, and we'll talk about you, that. You know year. where I think this comes into uh, effect actually quite a bit is with Lovecraftian stuff. Oh, yeah, that's a good example. So too. here's the thing. It's like you read a lot of Lovecraft. You're like, oh, my gosh, I want to play Call of Cthulhu game, right? The whole point of a Call of Cthulhu game is that your character goes from zero knowledge of the supernatural 
to the end, which is usually some a full knowledge of some aspect of the supernatural, and it makes them go crazy. Makes them yeah. go crazy. Right? And that's the fun of the universe. Yeah, and so if you're playing a Lovecraftian game, and you're like, oh, I think it's a Shoggoth. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, oh, that's a Shoggoth that's coming after us. Right. Like, well, that's you as the player that knows that. It's not really your character that's mm-hmm. like, oh. How, how would you know that, a- Ashcan Pete? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Ashcan Pete knows you. Nobody remembers Ashcan Pete. Sorry, he's a character from Arkham Horror. Yeah. And Dan's favorite character every time. My favorite character, and my my brother and I fight about it. who gets yeah, to be Ashcan Pete. Fights over it too. Yeah. He, he he wins every time. Big brothers always win. So okay, so we're establishing that it can be a problem, though, right? Or or is it a good thing? Um, it, there, like any sword, it has two sharp edges. So the good thing is that you can quickly introduce people to a universe without having to explain. Yeah. Uh, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, right? Where, right. you know, th- that, you know, oh, good. You saw the movie along with the rest of humanity. You know, we cut, you get an idea of what's happening here, right? Yeah. Um, yep. uh, and, and so that can be very good. It's good for uh, setting stages. It's good for setting, you know, atmospheres and stuff like that, as well as expectations for what a player is supposed to do in that universe, right. which sometimes is more important than even the the scenery and the atmosphere and sometimes even more important than the rules per se because you can always as a gm go over the rules with them like okay in this instance you're rolling a d20 for x or a d6 or whatever you're doing right but it's hard to say like i mean if if you go in and you let's say you play a star trek game and you're the science officer you know what you're supposed to be doing Science, science it up, <laughs> right? Make it science. And so you're like, okay, I know Which my really job. Which really just means I, using like, your scanner on things you don't understand. Exactly. Exactly. You know that if you go into a Star Trek game and you're wearing a red shirt and you beam down to the planet, <laughs> you might as well start rolling a new character. Get a new you character. You just know this. Get a back pocket character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, because those are the tropes of the of uh, there's tropes and those yeah. tropes can be helpful and useful and in some ways that's the fun sometimes you want to get into an rpg yeah because there are tropes because you you, you love the milieu um and so it can be a very good thing um and i was going to say that when you were referencing um buffy i think that there are rpgs out there that have very specific skins on it we kind of touched on this a little bit with the D takes over the world episode uh-huh, that we just uh-huh. had um if you're playing like a one shot in a Buffy game, you kind of want your players to have that knowledge. Yeah. Right. Because, oh, yeah. because you'd like, all right, we're just, we're getting into this, this universe. Like I like, it's almost inherent that if you're playing a Buffy RPG, you should know about Buffy, you know? Right. I mean, it's kind of expect like, that's kind of the expectations. If you're starting out a shadow of the demon Lord campaign, you don't really expect your players to have a deep knowledge of that, you know, because right. you're not playing this weird like IP one shot skin right. game. And there's a know? there's a lot more onus on the GM to set the stage and to set how that universe works and feels and, and what yeah. matters and what doesn't matter in the universe. Right. Yep. Yeah, definitely. So, but all right. So we talked about how it could be a good thing. Uh, how can it be a bad thing? I think one of the, the and and this is one of our future episodes where we're, we'll do a watch of the D and D episodes of Community is when you have the Chevy Chase character basically stomp off and go get a copy of the module that Abed was running, 
and he read ahead of it and he knew exactly what buttons to press in the plot to push his agenda in the game. That's like a bad thing, right? Because you're kind of breaking the fourth wall. Um, if you're, or maybe you've already ran through a module before and you have an idea where to look for certain loot. You have an idea how tough a certain monster is or what that monster is uh, vulnerable to. Mm-hmm. And that can, uh, that can kind of, it, it kind of breaks the suspension of disbelief in the game, which can, um, you know, if, if you keep it to yourself, fine, pat yourself on the back for being wily. But if you're telling everybody else how much you know about the game, you just, you kind of break kind of the social contract of sitting down and play, going on an adventure. I keep telling everybody that the definition of adventure is simply not knowing the end from the beginning. So if you're trying to know the end from the yeah. beginning, you're, you're breaking the contract of what, why we go on these adventures. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, I think that it can spoil some of, well, how do, how do I put this? Player knowledge can easily wreck the immersion. Yes. Of what you're trying to do, right? Which is like, there's a sense of wonder. And you know what? The Mandalorian's a great example. He goes into these environments. Let's take the first season. He's got this bounty that he's going into, right? Mm-hmm. And he walks in there, and he um, is using his bounty beacon, and he focuses on, on this little, like, egg-shaped thing, and he pops it open. Bam! Baby Yoda. Baby right? Yoda. Everybody yeah. everybody in the audience that is watching it is like, it's a Baby Yoda! Yes. You we know, all had that like, name. We also nerds that are like, Yoda was a name. It's not the name of the race. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> And, Shut up, well, nerd. there's all of that going on. <laughs> yes, exactly. So we're all freaking out that there's a baby Yoda. The Mandalorian has no idea what this thing yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and that's that is a perfect example of the separation that you as a player needs to have with your character. So, so the immersion factor is that if you start jamming your audience participation knowledge into your character from a, a Deus Ex Machina type of situation yeah you know you start jamming this information into your character and your character starts acting as if they had the information so you know the example would be the mandalorian is like oh i feel like i should seek out some space wizards for this yeah because you know or, or bring <laughs> bring it back to another thing where maybe just one group of players know something that another group of players have already been told over the table Right. It's like two guys walk into a room. Okay, you're both knocked unconscious. What are you guys going to do? Well, we were going to fall into the other room, but now I don't feel like it. Well, why don't you feel like it? You know, yeah. well, uh, uh, I, my character wouldn't do that. Well, you were about to do that. Um, yeah. I also have another situation, which is not terrible, but it can be, um, uh, it, it can in the wrong hands be annoying is if you're playing in a well-trod universe or at least a popular module, people can go online and Google um, things about your game while you're in the game or go on a <laughs> wiki. And yeah. that is a real thing. And especially now that we're all gaming on Zoom right now, you yeah. know, it's not even like everybody just grabs their phone and puts their nose down to figure out. They're Googling the name of the big bad guy to figure out if how tough the big bad guy is. It's actually yeah. something that's a little easier to do. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, my players in my current campaign are obvious about it, and they say we would like to make a knowledge roll so I can like get on Wikipedia and not feel guilty. <laughs> That's uh, awesome. And so in that way, I go for it. And there's a mechanic I can get. Okay, well, this is an yeah. outer rim, or this is this is the type of roll you need to make. Um, and, well, before we get before we get to like mechanics on how oh, to like, I'm sorry. manage this, I'm getting what, ahead what of thing, ourselves. That's okay. One one of the things I wanted to say is that I was running a game with my kids a little while back, and um, they had some friends over that were playing with them, and I had a whole battle mat set out right, and my son had decided to go basically clear across the map to go check something out, right? Well, he had a choice to make. And everybody at the table was like, no, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. And I had to look at him and I had, I said, son, they're not there with you. <laughs> what would your character do? This is, this is your choice. What would he do? He says, I'd pull the lever. I'm like, pull the lever, buddy. <laughs> pull the lever. And he just gets sprayed with acid. You know what I mean? <laughs> and they're all like, you idiot. Why didn't you tell me? And he looked at him and to his credit, he says, I can't hear you. You're all the way over there. <laughs> You know, which was great because, I mean, one of the friends was my daughter's friend who can get a little bossy on the table sometimes, Uh you know, uh and and I'm like, this is one of those times where that is metagaming. Yeah. You know, where you have player assistance and helping you make a decision. They're not there. Yeah. I think that this is, um, and I think that this is a very, I think that this can be a problem, but I think it can also be very easily mitigated right at the beginning. When you start a session or you start a campaign or an arc, the GM can just say, look, you guys may know some of this stuff, but let's just let's just have a fun time yeah. role playing. So yeah. please please just you know, obey what your character's knowledge is versus what yours yeah. is. And a yeah. simple sentence like that right up at the beginning can help people really get into the gist of role playing versus trying to win because you don't really win at an rpg right yeah. you experience right. the adventure like you said yeah. and, and and your goal is to maximize the experience yeah and that's the difference between community on the community thing is chevy chase had this i'm gonna win yes mentality i'm gonna win dungeons and dragons and yeah, it was like, advanced you don't win dungeons and dragons <laughs> right <laughs> right and, you don't uh, win yeah, and I, and I was going to say, too, that your experienced uh, gamers already inherently know this. Yeah. I think it's your Because they know ones. it's what's ultimately fun. Yeah, exactly. They've, they've actually probably experienced both, both ways, right? And uh, it's interesting to watch players that are experienced. They say, they, they'll ask you, they're like, would I know this or not? <laughs> yep, that's always a you great know? sign when they would ask I know, the would, would my player know this? And that's a great question, I think, for a GM because there are some things that are like universally known that your player may know, right? I mean, mm-hmm. if you're talking westerns, you know, you know that you like if your if your character's a cowboy, you know that you could probably only ride them full tilt for about 15 miles before they would like fall over yeah, yeah or something yeah, like that yeah. like you would know that as a cowboy right so i've you know? seen i've seen a situations where the gm has taken this the wrong direction before mm-hmm. um where you know we've been at a table and a player is trying to solve a puzzle that's specific to the setting and the player's like you know i don't really know the setting very well and the gm's like well you got to figure it out and the player's like well i mean yeah can I roll the dice to see if my character figures it out? And I've seen GMs be like, "Well, you know, tell me you got to solve this. You got to solve this problem yourself." And I'm like, "Man, I'm 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 pretending to be someone else at the table. Let me pretend to have their knowledge too." Right? Can I right? can I be yeah. the? 
I'm pretending to be a surgeon here. <laughs> right. I don't know. In real life, I don't know what the medical process is. So forgive yeah. me if I didn't wash my hands first. <laughs> right. <laughs> Can we just assume that I would have used it? Yeah, exactly. That yeah, I would I... use the right tools to do the right thing, you know, well, like that that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so I've, I've definitely seen – and I tell you, those are just, they're just not fun experiences, right? Um, and remember, all this – this is all – games are about having fun. They're about being creative. And uh, and especially, especially tabletop role-playing games are not about winning. They're about experiencing yeah. an adventure and a story. So speaking of giving GMs tips and tools on how to deal with this metagaming uh, you know, stuff, Dan – now let's get to your mechanics. How do you help mitigate metagaming and play, and how do you help out player knowledge in well, your RPGs? Uh, sometimes you have to, like we said, you have to remind the players to play their character and not play the game, right? Just play yeah. your character. We already kind of underlined that that point. There's times when a character wants to roll to know something, or yeah. if somebody is kind of mumbling under their breath that they know what's going on, sometimes you should give them an opportunity to say, hey, I, th- I think you should roll something up to see if that's something that your character would actually say here or something, or your character would yeah. say something close to that. So just give them an, give them an opportunity to not, uh, and make the role easy, by the way, because you can say, yeah. oh, well, you biffed the role. Everything Bill just said means nothing to any of you. Oh, okay, sorry. Yeah, um, so I actually I have, two, I have two points on that real quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, point number one is that um, if you're playing an uncommon IP, you know, I think that this is very key. Like, give, let them make knowledge checks that are easy so that they can understand the universe that they don't really understand. I mean, uh, you know, if you're playing 40K, you're like, all right, well, I'm playing 40K. Uh, beam me down to the planet. <laughs> you know? Like, yeah, exactly. That, that's just not <laughs> Sorry, gonna... dude. <laughs> yeah, it just doesn't work out that way. You know, like, take a shuttle yeah, or something like pieces? that. Yes. So, yeah, Scotty has so... not wired the transporter in 40K. He's been dead for 40,000 years. So, you know, they need they need um, some lifelines a lot of times, right? And so make those rules easy. Give them hints like, oh, you know, this is this might be something that your character would know. Why don't you make an arcana check about it? And, you know, I mean, it's a difficulty check five. So if you roll a one, I can't help you. You well, know what I mean? Well, but, you, can, um, you can reward other roles that have nothing to do with that knowledge, yeah, right? For yeah. instance, I, yep. this is a trope that I've, I've abused in Star Wars a lot, which is, oh, you've rolled some advantage or triumph, and you're going to get a momentary force vision. But you can do that in any system by saying, okay, you did a great roll, great, and then we'll do a cutaway scene to what the bad guy is doing. Right, right, because that was such a great role, and then the players are like, "Man, I'm so glad we accomplished what we did because now we yeah. now we know something in a way that fits kind of like a, how a movie would go." You have cutscenes, yeah. you know. Um, cutscenes are a great way to to take what they already know when they brought in their metagaming, and then you put a cherry on top of that, and then give them something else they didn't know. And then, and then they're more interested in your story and not as interested in trying to find the rails in, in Wikipedia. Right. Yeah. yeah okay. You know, I, I, um, in Shadow of the Demon Lord, there's proficiencies in knowledge, right? So you, if you were a scholar or if you were like a magician, you had some certain proficiencies that you, you had. And they were kind of like additives in there. But 
man, I, I think that we did a good job of setting up, like, if you needed a med- – so I said basically, like, or they were called professions, yeah. essentially. Your profession was, like – I mean, maybe it was a scholar. Maybe it was an undertaker. You know what I mean? Or something like that. And, man, Jason, you and everybody that played, I thought, did a really good job of, like, anytime you could use your professions to get some knowledge about something, mm-hmm. yeah, you did. And I would try to give you as many boons as I could. Because I wanted you to feel like, hey, my profession here should come into play. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes, yeah. sometimes it's the backstory. And if you know your character's backstories well enough, if they didn't write you a thirty-page novel, novella, <laughs> if you know the backstories, you can say, well, I think your character remembers this. That remember that one time. So you know, th- then, then you've also validated the work that the players done on their backstory too to, yeah. con- to connect those things up. And that always feels good as a player. Because then they're part of a longer narrative. Sorry. No, that's fine. I was just going to say there's a little bit of a warning here, too. A little bit off topic, but I think a little bit related for GMs is that um, if something is critical to the story, um, don't make players roll um, if they don't have to. Because you can get yourself as a GM in a bad situation where you say, you know, unlike where you you can pull punches when you're rolling behind the GM, you know, curtain or screen, if you say, give me a knowledge check, you guys need to figure this one piece out, yeah, and, and they it's fail. Like critical, right? And yeah. they, everyone fails that knowledge check. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta find a way to still have them figure that information yeah. out. Yeah, and so, this is how you do it. You yeah. go, well, you didn't learn what you needed to know, but what you did learn <laughs> yeah, was the thing absolutely. I wanted you yeah. to know. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah I true. do that all the time. I mean, I have different degrees of like player knowledge, right? Like if you knock it out of the park, I'm basically barfing out every last detail about that thing that you wanted. Yeah. Right. If you hit a if you hit a nice stand up double, right, a, a pretty good hit, then you're getting you know everything you need to know about it. If you barely eke out or you get thrown out at first type of thing on your on your roll, um, I you know I'll give you the hint. Like yeah. basically, it's not like well you failed, so now what? You know, you're at least getting a little bit of something. And sometimes yeah. the end of a session is a great time to start spilling your guts, unless you're running like the great mystery of all time, which right. we've all been tempted to do. You know, when after you finish a session, you're like, you know, when you guys were doing this, this is what was actually happening. That can be really satisfying, yeah. um, especially after they have mm. that 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 emotional catharsis of success. Like, oh yeah, we just succeeded this thing, you know, and you can go, hey. <laughs> Hey, uh, you know, epilogue. Here's some other pieces of information that maybe, you know, can, can you know tantalize them to make sure they come to the next session. See, I'm I'm opposite. I think that that's cool, and I really enjoy it. But I I I am kind of the guy that like if if you're playing a poker card game and you win on a bluff, and you never have to show your cards, and the other person folds, they never see your cards. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> that's true that, that you can you can keep some stuff going. Yeah, you but, may, you know, you whatever's may need good that. for the group. Whatever's you may, good you may need that. It just depends. Just feel it out. Um, yeah. <clears throat> using player knowledge, of course, you know, I designed a three-shot thing that we talked about in previous episodes. And a lot of that was based on me being very explicit about what was going on in the movies of Star Wars and how that was going to affect every character at the table in some really meaningful way, which was, yeah. you know, the, the, basically the, the three arc story in one sentence was when all the Jedi are dead, 
the uh, emperor uses a whole bunch of failed Padawans to start building the Inquisitor Corps, which becomes Jedi Lights, right? You know, the, jet, the light beer version of Jedi. Well, I put you guys in situations where your knowledge, your player knowledge of the films was designed to absolutely drive you insane. Yep. For instance, mm, yep. you're all, you're, you're, you're sitting down in an office with the chief of security of the Jedi temple and on the screen behind him, all the stormtroopers <laughs> right. and Anakin start coming in and killing everybody. And suddenly the tension in the room ramps up to the roof. So in that way, I kind of use the baby Yoda, the baby Yoda thing, which is, yeah. Cause got, the baby Yoda was great yeah. for the audience. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it was key for the, audience. it, uh, it got real awkward when we were watching the younglings die on the monitor. Yeah. Not going to lie. <laughs> yeah. A little bit, a little bit. Well, you some know, some of us were just, some of us just like turned our backs to the monitor. You, you wanted uh, a little extra horror. You guys say, I can't ever right. kill you in star Wars. I might as well kill the one time we had, uh, you know, ch- child side. I don't know. I think that session basically ended with us trying to restrain another player that was trying to do something about it. Uh, Yes, Sean's character was like, I can't stand for this. (laughs) (laughs) And I think he like attacked the security guy. And all the rest of us are like, look, dude. Uh, uh, It was a lunch ticket. Uh, I don't want want to burst your bubble, buddy, but we're on his side. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, It's like, this isn't going to go well for anyone. It was so so epic, though. It was great. It was good. So you can use, uh, you can lean into it sometimes. It's a cheap way to to get the drama going because you've already, there's so much of the work has been done for you to get the, to really get the uh intention the in the intensity in the room a little play on the nostalgia play on the nostalgia yeah and i mean it's not a bad thing i i think it can be a bad thing depending on like how deep you want your your session to go i mean again if you're doing a buffy one shot leaning into one of the iconic episodes and you're doing a parallel story along that side of thing i think that actually gets the players really emotionally invested in what's going on and, for that and, for that one shot, and you, you notice know, or, we're talking we're talking one shots and three shots. If you're in yeah. an ongoing campaign, you keep ringing this bell, and everybody's going to be like, "Oh yeah, okay, paint by numbers." You know, yeah. all of our characters are just off camera in every that's scene it. of all these films or all these TV shows, and, right? And that that's not. And they'll be able to be say, thing. "Well, yeah, they'll be able to say, well, okay, fine.' You know, we were on Bespin in episode five, so that means that we're going to be at Jabba's palace. Yeah, uh, and then we're going next, to Endor. You know? Yeah, so yeah, so they start understanding some of that stuff too. If, if you if you overdo it, they will find the rails. So you just do it, you know, once in a while. It can be fun, and and then sometimes you have to if you can juxtapose that with a whole bunch of information that's completely not talked about in the films. Right, like, oh, you guys ended up on Dathomir also, and had to deal with all these Force witches. Well, that's not in the movies; that's in the cartoons. Yeah, and you're like, oh, okay, so, you know, you, you can jump from hot to cold to hot to cold. You can get from the, 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 you know, the hot tub into the cold swimming pool back and forth, and that can be kind of fun. So, it, you know what, Dan, you just brought up an interesting point, Dathomir. Well, you you brought that up in the in your three shot that you did. Mm-hmm. I knew exactly where we were at because I had seen the Clone <laughs> You watched Wars. the cartoons. <laughs> John Tross hadn't seen it, and I don't think Nick had seen it. Yeah. And I, I, I hadn't either. And and Jason had And so I go, uh-oh. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And, yeah as yeah. I'm sitting here. Uh, but then I also knew that they were crazy awesome witch powers. So, <laughs> and, and listen, this is part of my own thing is I said, 
can I can I get a little taste of that action? Because you know I wanted to try to be bad, and you're like, yeah, go sleep in this coffin and get infused with it. But I wouldn't have asked that if I hadn't had known. the player knowledge, the meta game, the, the meta game. So I totally meta gamed it. But you know what? It was kind of set up to sort of meta game a little bit yeah. too, right? Yeah. So. And, and and the nice thing about any kind of rich universe, and we talk about Star Wars a lot because I spent a lot of time in that universe, right? Um, any rich universe is going to have these little avenues and alcoves that that's the whole reason of playing in a universe that already exists and not one yeah. that you invent yeah. off the top of your head. Well, let me yep. let me let me tell you a story about Dan. When you're like I don't know over a, probably ten fifteen years ago, when Dan moved into the area and I. I said, hey, come join our RPG thing, our Star Wars thing. At that moment in time, I thought that I knew a lot about Star Wars. <laughs> and Dan, Dan came and sat down, and we were playing this session. Very quickly, I realized, oh, these guys are light years. You know, they're, they're levels beyond me. Parsecs? And Would you say they're parsecs? Parsecs <laughs> beyond me. And I think what really did it was, at one point, the GM was like, all right, you know, you guys, uh, you're, you know, you're flying, you're, you're going to this one system to drop off this thing. And it was this planet I'd never heard of in this system I'd never heard of. And so I pulled up Wikipedia on my phone, and I'm looking it up. And while I'm looking it up, I hear Dan and one of our other guys at the table named Chuck. They start saying, oh, yeah, yeah, that system on the third planet of that system, <laughs> there's a moon. And on that moon, they had a civil war. And during that civil war, and I'm scrolling to Wikipedia as if they are reading it off of my phone. And I'm That's just awesome. like, oh, my Gosh, because I mean, you were like, yeah, and then in the something something year, there was a civil war, and the outcome of that war caused, uh, you know, like the, you know, half of the moon to be destroyed. Are you publicly populace... shaming me, Jay? <laughs> no, I'm saying how I'm saying how awesome you are because I yeah. was like, it was awesome because it was a moment where you realized, you know, hey, the, the and they you didn't use it to to beat the game yeah you just showed you just showed that man we can geek out over this stuff and we can play these games that bring the nostalgia element and we can we can live inside of the universes that we love to read and watch movies inside of yeah. and that's what's great about or genres stuff. or broader at a genre yeah. level you know yep. like yeah totally yeah totally so yeah. Uh, it, you know the metagaming knowledge is is probably uh, more useful than it is harmful the only time it's yeah. harmful is is the extreme nefarious the Chevy, Chase. Chevy Chase example of a player trying to get some loot or a player basically uh, undermining the social contract of the game. And, and that's yeah. a pretty rare thing. It happened way more when we were teenagers, that kind of crap. Right, um, right. Uh, than it does as, as farty old men. Again, I think the experience <laughs> comes in there where you're just like, I'm here to have fun too, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, how do you feel about, so let's say uh, we go dungeon diving in D&D, right? We're level two characters. We're not too wise in the world, right? And we come across a gelatinous cube. How do you feel if my character pulls out the magic weapon when they were using the normal weapon to then fight the gelatinous yeah. cube? Yeah. I mean, yeah. do you think that as a GM that's fair? I mean, like... I wouldn't do much as a GM. I'd be like, okay, whatever. But at the same time, I'd be thinking, there's no way your character would know that until they hit it with the gelatinous cube and it ate the sword and started rusting it out. I, I think you know? it depends on what ver how you're playing Dungeons & Dragons because there, 
you know, Dungeons and Dragons, we say role playing game. There's a lot of people who play Dungeons and Dragons not really for role play, just for dungeon crawl. Sure. Yeah. And if you're playing it just for the dungeon crawl feel, yeah. then, you know, whatever. Just go yeah. for it, have fun. Yep. At that point, you're really trying to win it. Right. Well, but if you're playing yeah, exactly. it for the role play, that's, that's subtly different. L- let me talk about Jay here when I thought. I, I, <laughs> oh, <no>. So <laughs> I, I had a. We were playing D&D. I had a character. And uh, for, at that point, I had not leveled up to do anything at engaged. I only had one decent spell at engaged, and it was like a spray poison or something like that. And we're playing against these rock men, and I'm just dumb as a bag of hammers. I keep trying to spray the rock men with my poison stuff because I thought that the, maybe underneath that they had flesh, and they didn't. And so I must have attacked <laughs> these rock men like four times. And I'm like, all right, Jay, I do Eight points of damage. He looks at me and goes, uh huh. And he writes down and nev- and he goes, okay. Ne- I like scribbled a smiley face behind just the like, screen. Okay. <laughs> next, 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 next player, next player. And he let me just hang out forever like an idiot before he's like, can you make an arcana roll to figure out that what you're doing is totally useless? Yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah, you're right. These guys are made of rocks and I'm shooting them with poison. Oh. <laughs> yeah, there's a couple of times where I'm like, yeah, your arrow just it 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 went through the armor. It just did not make a cut. Like there's no blood, there's nothing. You're not seeing anything. Yeah. yeah. You know. Like basically your shot didn't do anything. <laughs> you're useless. So yeah, sometimes yeah. if you're playing the the core game, we'll see and that's the thing is that if you're fighting a monster in D&D and you know what it's what what types of damage it's immune to or what types of damage what's the other yep. what's the light version of immunity to? It's like uh, resistance. Then you can totally metagame because you're like, yeah. oh, my best spell is a fire spell and fire's not going to work. So now I got to use a force spell. Um, am I going to tell the GM that? How does my character know that? Um, yeah. And and the other thing that kind of bugs me sometimes is that you're like, oh, well, these are just a couple of skeletons. We know that we could beat them. Well, how do you know that? It's because like previous, previous like campaigns, we know that they're, you know, a crit rating of one and a quarter, you know, and have like eight hit, hit points or whatever, you know. And well, like, and, okay, but and, does your character know that? And what about armor class metagaming? This happens yeah. mm-hmm. all the time. Um, oh, I've yeah. seen a million players say, what, what did you hit on? Oh, I, I, I hit on a 21. Okay, 21. Okay, well, yeah. I missed on a 19. Okay, so it's a 20 or it's a 21. Oh, I got a 20 and it's a miss. Okay, everybody, you got to get a yeah. 21 or it just I'm- doesn't matter. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm guilty of that, absolutely. Are you? I think we sure. all are. <laughs> are you? Yeah. Well, and, and this is where the Star Wars doesn't matter with that. Yeah. Well, and there's different systems handle that differently, right? Yeah. And so in different versions of D20 games, you, there's three different resistances you have. One is agility-based, one is strength-based, or and one is, uh, you know, like intelligence or wisdom-based yeah. or something like that. So anyway, yeah. long story short, there's lots of different ways to... Um, yeah, so if the players are playing the game to beat the monster, they're really doing everything they can to beat the monster. And you as the GM have put the monster there to beat them. Either you put it there to end the campaign and eat everyone, or you put it there for them to defeat. So if they're, you know, using math skills to maximize their, their ability to not sit there for an extra 45 minutes hammering away, there's probably nothing wrong with that. Right. Right. Remind yeah. me of the, the, the movie from 2008, The Gamers, The Darkness, Ri- Darkness Rising. It was so good. 
I love it. Oh, it was so good. But at one point of that, it's like the ultimate example of what we're talking about, where after they finish a session, two of the dudes go off and they get pizza, and he sits in a chair and blindfolds them while the other guy flips through monster, the monster manual and lists off a monster name. The guy's, the guy's like listing off the, the, the CR rating <laughs> and the, uh, you know, the damage it does. And uh, <laughs> they're just like, they're quizzing each other. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of tropes in, in those movies that are fun. Yeah. That's yeah. Great. Those are great. Um, so anyway, that's what's going on with meta, meta gaming. And you can't take the player out of the player character. It's got to be right. a balance of the two. You know, you're never going to have a perfect character with perfect in-game knowledge and a perfect player with perfect out-of-game knowledge. It's just not going to happen. It's the crossroads of those two things. And yeah. so they're going to influence each other. The dice rolls and the skills are going to influence the player and what the player knows is what's going to influence the character. So just just roll with it. <laughs> did you see so, what I did there? Know, roll with nice, it. Nice pun. And and I, I'm going to be the first to say that um, sometimes, uh, this is confession time, guys, sometimes I might get a little petty when players uh, – try to kind of metagame knowledge with me because I'm like, oh, you so you think you know it all, do you? Do you know <laughs> what I mean? <laughs> and, and then, you know, like, uh, you know, I'll, I'll twist it so it doesn't work out the way they thought it was going to work out or, or whatever. And that's probably not the best, uh, not the best uh, response that a GM should have to it. But, uh, uh, you know, at the same time, if, a, if I see a player is really trying to play their character, and they're like, oh, man, I, I don't think I would know this here. I'm more inclined to reward them in the future for good, you know, good role playing. Yeah. Yeah. So. And remember you that you, if you're a GM or you're playing with the GM, the GM is playing a game, too. Yeah. Right. And so at the same time, you know, the GM's job is not to punish players, but is to play the game and have fun through running the game, which can be an amazing amount of fun if you know what you enjoy about it. And or you, to have fun punishing players. If I'm punishing players. If wow. if you love <laughs> if you love the games where it's players against the GM, just go play Descent or something like that. Yeah. And just just, yeah. just just dig into it and, and, and make a meal of it. Um, there's too many subjective things in a role playing game to to be too too adversarial. I agree. In my opinion. Good talk. Good talk. I'm yeah. glad we had this conversation. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you, Dan, for all the input. Uh, thank you, Jason, for your wise comments. And uh, thank you, listeners, for sticking with us. We appreciate you listening to our, our uh, podcast. So hope you enjoyed it, and uh, have a great night. All right, we'll see you. Thanks, everybody.